Lord, let us take our Bibles this morning and we'll go to the book of Philippians. Of course, our theme verse follows our theme for the year, uh, which is Christ at the Center. Our theme verse is Colossians 1.18, and he is the head of the body of the church who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he might have the preeminence. Uh, when we think of Christ and who he is supposed to be to us, to me, he's not something that we add in. He's not the cherry on top of the Sunday. Uh, he's not an afterthought. He's everything. He is to be the preeminent one. If you remember from last week, we learned that that word preeminent simply means to be first. That in all things, Jesus would be first. And even that word, the firstborn from the dead, that's a phrase that uh, was used regardless of your birth order. As King David himself, who was the youngest of his brethren, David was referred to as the firstborn. So Jesus is the firstborn in that he is the preeminent one. And it is he that we want to have at the center of all that we do, the center of our lives. Let's start with a word of prayer. Lord, thank you that you love us. Thank you for this beautiful song we just heard and thank you for the truth that was there. Thank you that we have an opportunity to live our lives for the glory of Jesus Christ. I pray that each of us here, Lord, would be very serious about our walk with you you were so serious about your walk for us that you went all the way to the cross. You died, was buried, and rose again. I pray, Lord, that we would see it as our reasonable service to live our lives with Christ at the center. Help us, Lord, to follow the example that we see in your word today. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Junior Church can be dismissed. I failed to mention that. Thank you, Junior Church workers for helping us with our kids and they'll be right across the hall in the multi-purpose room we plan to explore the theme of christ at the center this year both in our sunday morning messages as well as the wednesday night messages and as i mentioned we'll continue the wednesday uh, the, the colossians series on wednesday nights uh, a snowstorm made us change our plans this past week uh, but we'll get back on track lord willing and I'm looking forward to hearing uh, from Pastor CJ as he'll be taking the bulk of that series. He and I will tag team a little bit, but uh, I'm looking forward to seeing what God has laid on his heart. And, uh, and so that'll be Wednesday night as we look at Colossians more in depth. I hope you can be here at 7 o'clock on Wednesdays. I also plan to eventually get into the book of Second Peter, which will dovetail as well with this theme, especially that first chapter of keeping Christ central in all that we do the essential virtues that are listed there in that passage. But for now, we're still laying some groundwork and some foundations as there's a lot uh, on my heart and a lot that we're preparing for as a church. As I mentioned last week, we're looking to do some expansion. If you missed that, uh, the service uh, and the afternoon service is on our archives online, and you can see what we're planning to do. We're, we're as a church, by faith, going forward to build uh, an expansion, build some uh, buildings, a gymnasium, education wing to expand here in this building as well. All of this takes money, but we're doing it because God is growing our ministry and we want to grow to meet those needs and to walk by faith. But I want us to know that Satan's going to fight very hard. We're going to deal with all sorts of uh, uh, tribulation, I would say. Uh, who knows what all? And if we're not centered on our walk with the Lord, if he's not the center of all we do, we're going to ha have a hard time doing anything that we have planned to do. I told the kids on Friday at our homeschool chapel, I told the kids uh, we can drop the plans, and it's easy to put a video out there and some plans in people's hands, but now we have to go and by faith possess the land. Joshua divided the land, and on paper everything was divided. But then it was for the children of Israel to go and possess what had been divided. And that's where we stand today as a church. And I want us to be prepared spiritually 
for the walk of faith that we're embarking on. The gym, the Family Ministry Center, the education wing, that whole project that we call the Family Ministry Center, that's not going to be the center of who we are and what we're doing. Christ must be the center. And anything that we do, any expansions and, and all of that, must simply grow out of what Christ is doing in our lives and in our ministry. We must keep him central to all that we do. Sometimes churches uh, begin to compromise when they're starting to build buildings because of the financial pressure. We need more people in, and so we won't preach on this, we won't talk about that. And before you know it, Christ is no longer central. Now the money and the expansion is central, and we're building buildings for what purpose? We've lost the purpose in all of the amenities. By God's grace, that won't happen here. I trust and I pray. So the next couple of weeks, we'll still be plodding along with some foundational messages to help us have our feet, I trust, solidly planted upon this central theme, Christ must remain at the center, preeminent in all things. We're in Philippians chapter 1. Why? Because I believe that if you want to ask the question, uh, uh, which we're going to ask this morning, what is a Christ-centered life? What does it look like? I believe the Apostle Paul and his life is a great example of what we're talking about. The Apostle Paul exemplified an individual whose life centered around Jesus Christ. He was willing to go anywhere, do anything, say anything. He hazarded his life for the gospel. Why? Because Christ was central, not him. We'll come to Philippians chapter 1, and we'll pick it up in verse 19. For I know that this shall turn to my salvation through your prayer and the supply of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, according to my earnest expectation and my hope that in nothing I shall be ashamed, but that with all boldness, as always, so now also Christ shall be magnified in my body, whether it be by life or by death. You see here the boldness he has despite what he's dealing with, looking for his people to pray for him, and that turn into his salvation or his deliverance, okay, from all that he is dealing with. He knew that the Spirit of God would supply everything he needed and that he would be magnified in his body, and it didn't matter if it was life or death. He said, it's all about Christ one way or the other. And then he says that in the next verse. For to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. Backing up again, he said, so now also Christ shall be magnified in my body, whether it be by life or by death. This is the Christ-centered life exemplified. For to me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. But if I live in the flesh, this is the fruit of my labor, yet what I, yet what I shall choose I wot not. What is he saying there? He says, all right, I could live or I could die. If I live, I'm living for Christ, and that's good. If I die, I'm going to be with Christ, and that's good. So what, if I live in the flesh, well, what about this? Well, there's fruit for my labor. I'll have more fruit for my labor is what he's saying. That's a good thing. If God keeps me here, I'll have more opportunity to see the fruit of my labors in your life. But he says, what should I choose? I don't know. I'm torn, is what he's saying. I'm torn. I want to stay here and continue to see fruit in the labors. But boy, I want to be with Christ. And so he says, I am in a strait betwixt two. What is a strait? We might say today, I'm at a fork in the road. I am between a rock and a hard place. I am... I've got a decision to make, and I'm torn. I'm torn between two things. That's what he means. I'm in a strait betwixt two, having a, de a desire to depart and to be with Christ, which is far better. Nevertheless, to abide in the flesh is more needful for you. So he's going back and forth here, right? But he goes on to say, having this confidence, I know that I shall abide and continue with you all for your furtherance and joy of faith that your rejoicing may be more abundant in Jesus Christ for me by my coming to you again. He says, I know God's got more work for me to do. I'm torn. I want to go be with him. I want to help you out. But oh, I'm torn. However, I know God has a little bit more work for me to do with you before he calls me home. And so he has some admonitions to them. Verse 27, very important verse. Only let your conversation be as it becometh the gospel of Christ. 
that whether I come and see you or else be absent, I may hear of your affairs that ye stand fast in one spirit, with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel, and in nothing terrified by your adversaries, which is to them an evident token of perdition, but to you of salvation. What he's saying is, uh, as you have one mind and you're living a life becoming the gospel and you're striving together for the faith of the gospel, he says, yeah, you should, humanly speaking, you, would be, you should be terrified of the adversaries, but you don't have that terror. In nothing are you terrified by your adversaries. And this lack of terror is an evident token of their perdition and your salvation and that of God. For unto you it is given in the behalf of Christ, not only to believe on him, but also to suffer for his sake, having the same conflict which he saw in me and now here to be in me. The Apostle Paul was a man who gave everything to the Lord Jesus Christ. I am not saying he was sinlessly perfect. No, sir. There is no person who is sinlessly perfect. There is none that doeth good. No, not one. But Paul was a man who was a sinner that he described as the chief of sinners. And yet God got a hold of him, drew him to himself, brought him to faith and repentance in the Lord Jesus. On that Damascus road, his life was changed. And the one that he used to persecute, now he preached for that one. And gave every waking moment to his Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Verse 21, again, is an outstanding verse. For to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. But what does it mean? What does it look like in real life? Is, is this just talk, or is this, is this attainable? Is this just for certain special believers like the Apostle Paul, but then there's the rest of us just, you know, the plebs here, just trying to figure things out. Make, make, a, make a mess of the whole thing, right? No, I believe this is the motto of the Christ-centered life. Life is good. Death is fine. It's all for Jesus either way. We sing a song uh, every missions month, and I can hear parts of it in my head, but I can't quote it right now. Uh, Christ, if I, if I die, I'll live again. Christ, Christ consumes me either way. Anyway, I didn't bring that song with me, but the idea of, of the, Christ, the Christ-centered life is uh, we're following him and it's, it's all fine. I'm surrendered for me to live as Christ and to die as gain. The testimony of the Apostle Paul was it's all about Jesus. You hear a lot of talk these days about the bucket list. You guys know what a bucket list is? It's the list of all the stuff you want to do before you kick the bucket, right? Only I heard about a couple of these people who had such crazy things on that bucket list that some of those bucket list items hastened their kicking the bucket. Uh, this poor guy, I read about him climbing a tower. It was on his bucket list item, and he climbed the tower and fell off and kicked the bucket. So be careful about your bucket list. Don't go too far with it. But there's this idea that you don't want to live your life and get to the end and wish you had done something that you could have done and didn't do and you've got a life now with regret. If only I would have done this, 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 and this. You know, I'll tell you, I don't think anybody in eternity is concerned that they didn't climb Mount Kilimanjaro. I don't think anybody in eternity is saying, I wish I had had more me time. I wish I had had more money. I wish that I would have spent more time at work. A, lot, a life that is wrapped up in self is a life that is wasted with many, many regrets at the end of life. Millions of people have regretted living self-centered, temporally focused lives However, there's not one person who's ever set foot in eternity and said, I wish I hadn't given it all to Jesus. There's no regrets 
when you give it all to Jesus. I wish I hadn't just said, Christ, you're going to be the center of everything. I wish I hadn't turned my back on the world and just followed Christ with my whole heart. There's no one who's ever said that. Because you were created for that. And when, when people do what they're created to do, there's purpose, there's satisfaction, there's happiness. God said, at my right hand, there are pleasures forevermore. Taste and see that I'm good. Paul said, I have no regrets. Maybe the only regret he had is that he didn't start out for Christ sooner. I, I, I could see that. But he recognized that God even used those things and worked them together for good in his life. What does it mean for me to live as Christ and to die is gain? Well, let's start with the, the death portion of it. What does it mean to die is gain? Should we all be walking around hoping for death? Hey, brother, good to see you. I hope we die today. Amen. I mean, that's a little weird. You know, we, I, I wouldn't suggest that, okay? Now, it's not bad to say, hey, good to see you, brother. Uh, maybe Jesus will come today. Let's listen for the trumpet. That's all right. Uh, but he, he did not walk around moping morbidly for death. No, when he said to die is gain, he is referring to the eternity that was awaiting him in the presence of Christ, the angels, the holiness of God, uh, the reunion with co-laborers. Can you imagine that? The reunion with martyrs, the reunion with those that he killed before he was saved. Friends, family, his heart yearned for these things. This, this was gain to him. Uh, there was going to be reward. He believed that. He taught that. If you've read your New Testament, you know that Paul believed what the Holy Spirit had taught him, that there are rewards for believers. Hey, that's gain. The removal of temptation, sin, and evil. He was yearning for that. No more suffering, no more anxiety, doubt, and fear. He was plagued in this life by enemies. Hey, when I go to see him, there's no more enemies. No more uh, betrayal from people I thought were my friends. There's an e eternal abiding peace. Hey, to die is gain. Folks, we as Christians do not need to fear death. We don't need to long for it or hasten it because as Paul said, to abide is needful for you. You let God take you home when he says it's time. And until that time, recognize he has a job for you. And I know you may be in a place of despair and depression and thinking, oh, I just want to get out of here. No, no, no. You look to the Lord and let him meet your needs and, and long for the glories that await, but let those glories motivate you to dive into the, the mission that you still have yet, yet to fulfill. You know, he said in 2 Corinthians 4, 17, I know I've mentioned this verse a lot lately, but it's a good one. For our light affliction, which is but for a moment, worketh for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. While we look not on the things which are seen, but on the things which are not seen. For the things which are, are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. Paul, oftentimes in his writings, would let you know, he'd let you in on where his focus was. He thought about heaven a lot. He wasn't afraid to die. He said, I die daily. He, he walked around as a, as a dead man, in a sense, dead to sin and alive to God. Read Romans 6, read Romans 7, and, and, and look at that on your own time. But Paul yearned to be with his Savior, but he also realized he had a, a, a purpose to fulfill here first. His heart was surrendered to fulfill that purpose. Folks, as we think about death, for, for this world, death is like the worst thing in the world. It's the scariest thing. But for a Christian, we ought to think about death totally differently. It is, it is the end of one chapter and the beginning of another. And we want to finish this chapter completely, right? But heaven is a reality, not a fantasy. It is not a day, there is not a day that should pass by in the life of a Christian. But what we think about, our mortality and heaven. You know, this world would say, don't think about that. Don't think about death. Don't think about it. It's almost like 
If you think about death or dying, there's something wrong with you and you need medication. For a Christian, we don't, we don't have that. that we're, we're, we're not afraid of what's coming. We're looking forward to it. The unknown is oftentimes feared. And so therefore, even Christians will st- sometimes struggle with fear of heaven. You know, why do you do that? I can see fearing hell, but why fearing heaven? Because it's unknown. And we just, by nature, we, we fear things we don't know. But for us, we need to recognize it is not an unknown. It is known. It is the home of every single individual who's dear to us, who's gone on. Every saint in the Bible, every missionary we've read about, every uh, son and daughter of the king, uh, this is their home, and we are, there's a great company of witnesses, the Bible says. Heaven should be a calming thought to the believer, not an anxious one. It's a reassuring thought. Heaven should be yearned for, yet it should serve as our motivation to make this life count for eternity. Paul was a man who yearned for heaven, but was surrendered and motivated to this mission on earth. C.S. Lewis was an atheist at one time and was converted, and he has some, some really interesting quotes, and his, his whole story is so unique. Uh, my son's been doing a paper on him, and so we've been talking about him a lot lately. But C.S. Lewis said this, he said, there are far, far better things ahead than any we leave behind. But do you believe that? I think many times we Christians, we, we take the worldly perspective and, and we think of what we're, we're giving up. We're not losing anything. And this one is my favorite C.S. Lewis quote. He says this, If we find ourselves with a desire that nothing in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that we were made for another world. Folks, that's true right there. And this is the, the reason so many people are so perplexed in life. I've tried this, I've tried that, I've tried everything and nothing satisfies. That's because it wasn't built to satisfy you. Every single one of us, every single one of us will live forever somewhere. That's unearthly. That's unique. That's different. You think that anything in this world can satisfy someone that was built for eternity? That's just silly. So why are we living so much of our lives with so much energy trying to squeeze every drop of satisfaction out of that which was not intended for that purpose? Paul said, for to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. He said, I die daily. Why? He was dying to the world, the flesh, and the devil every day. He says, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Part of me is dead. Part of me is alive. Dead to the world, alive to Christ. He said, I, but I keep under my body and bring it into subjection, lest that by any means when I have preached to others, I myself should be a castaway. Paul said, death is swallowed up in victory. Paul said, Reckon yourselves to be dead indeed unto sin, but alive unto God. Do you see this theme over and over and over? Yes, it's because that's what the Christ life, the Christ-centered life is. It's a life that yearns for heaven and yet is surrendered to God's plan in the here and now. It's a life that revolves around him. So what does it mean when he says, for to me to live is Christ. Well, I think we are familiar with this phrase. Uh, Back to verse 21. For to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. Uh, Think about um, this phrase, for to me to live. For many of us, we would say, uh, for to me to live is sports. For to me to live is hunting. For to me to live is music. We wouldn't say it that way. We would say, my life is music. My life is sports. My life is my grandkids. My life is my work. My life is my passion, whatever your passion is. We understand this phrase. We just say it a little bit differently today. He was saying, for to me to live, or my life is, my passion is 
Christ. Okay. What does that mean? <laughs> I think it's helpful to, first of all, discuss what it does not mean. It's not just a superficial, super pious act. For to me, to live is Christ. So therefore, I cannot talk to you about the weather. Do not bother me with these trifles. I cannot talk to you about politics. Oh. I, do not ask me, you know, about, uh, you know, anything in my life or just normal, mundane, blah, blah, blah stuff. I dwell in the heavenlies all day long. And uh, for to me to live is Christ, and so I'm this ethereal person who really can't relate with anybody. Now, I don't know how that helps promote Christ's cause in this world if you cannot, if you're barely even tethered to the world. Uh, the Bible says, uh, Jesus said, I pray not, Father, that you would take them out of the world, so in other words, leave them in it, but keep them from the evil. We are supposed to be here, engage in people's lives, have real conversations, real relationships, so don't let yourselves get drawn into this superficial, super pious act, which is just a facade. Sometimes we walk around with Christian lingo that nobody understands. Just speak English and speak it like to someone who was saved yesterday. They don't have any clue about your Christianized phraseologies. Just tell them where you're at, what you're going through, what you're learning, who Christ is, what he means. Some of us, when we see a verse like this, we start going all OCD on it. And our perfectionism kicks in. And oh, for me, to me, is live as Christ. Okay, is my breakfast about Christ? Is it was my was my my studying about Christ? Was everything about Christ? Oh, don't panic. Don't overthink it. Don't make it to be now some work of religiosity. He's just saying uh, this should be the focus of who I am. This is my identity. This is my passion. All right? It's not so much about what you do, but who you depend upon and who you are in love with. Sometimes we'll say, for to me to live is Christ. And so we'll look around, what does it look like? What does it look like? How do I do it? How do I do it? And you hear of some super spiritual person and what they did, some super spiritual thing. You equate it with this verse, and now I have to do this. For instance, I used to really struggle with this. Preachers would give preachers illustra uh, sermon illustrations that would just mess me up. Uh, I remember one that I struggled with so bad. Uh, the preacher was preaching, and he says, you know, there was Dr. So-and-so was at a preacher's breakfast. And they went around the, the table, and, and the, the, the moderator, not moderator, the leader of this preacher's breakfast says to all the pastors, I want to go around and everybody just give a, tell me what you read in devotions this morning. Tell us the passage and what you learned. And this guy read Psalm, and this guy read a couple of chapters in, in, in John, and this guy read something in Genesis. We got around to Dr. So-and-so, and he said, this morning, I read the book of Isaiah. And then he told all the glories that he had gotten from it. I'm like, oh my. I'm sitting here listening to this preacher, and of course the preacher is essentially saying, go thou and do likewise. So I didn't eat breakfast for like two weeks trying to get through Isaiah every day. Uh, and uh, so, you know, I have to do this now because that was Dr. So-and-so, and no wonder he had the power of God on him. Like he had Isaiah read before breakfast. Wow. And then there's another guy, another preacher, great preacher. And uh, he gets done preaching, and the next guy comes up. It's a conference. God, it's a conference. The next guy comes up, and he says, Brother So-and-so would never say this about himself, but I'm going to say it for him. He reads his Bible through five times from cover to cover every year. Now, that's phenomenal. And if you do that, that is phenomenal. But you know how many preachers afterwards, we were, we were talking out in the lobby, and these preachers, young, young preachers said, I've got to read my Bible through five times a year. You just, that's what, for to me to live as Christ is. I, the Christ life looks like that and looks like that. And, and we're hitching our wagon to this guy and that guy and the other guy, and we're going all kinds of ways, and we're not going anywhere. We're stressing over it. Christians are actually set up to be perfectionistic, OCD, uh, chickens with their heads cut off. I, I don't know what that means, but 
We're just, if we don't keep our eyes on Jesus, we will be pulled a thousand ways all the time and beat ourselves to death over it. It's actually more simple. You know, I've heard this kind of thing. Did you know that so-and-so passes out a thousand tracks every month? Oh, there it is. I got to pass out more tracks. Wait a second. You know, copying another Christian is not a pathway to spiritual maturity. Copying another Christian is an admission of spiritual immaturity. Now, I don't think it's wrong to have role models, and it's good for Christians to be iron sharpening iron, and you can learn a lot from other people. But to just say, I'm going to carbon copy that, carbon copy that, ooh, I like that, carbon copy. Now, who are we centered around? Are, can we honestly say we're Christ-centered? He is the only one worth copying. He is the only one worth imitating. And we've got to make sure that we are not going to seed with all these things. So sometimes when we say, for to me, to live as Christ, some of you folks start to panic. Oh, no, here comes a message on all the stuff I'm not doing. Oh, my, here we go. Get out my, my pen. I'm, this is going to be a rough one. No, I want you to sit at Jesus' feet. I want, to, I want to invite you this morning to draw near to him and say, Lord, what would you, what would you have me to do? I want to get to know you. Yes, role models are good. Spiritual leaders are good. And it's good to follow spiritual leaders, follow them as they follow Christ, but only Jesus is worth imitating. For to me to live as Christ does not mean I'm walking around adjusting my halo. It doesn't mean that I'm always singing and always praying and I can't interact with real people. No, for to me to live as Christ is... Christ living in me as I'm walking with real people, having real conversations, real relationships, and real involvement. I should also say this, for to me to live as Christ does not mean that I'm continually evaluating the spirituality of everybody else to see if they understand Philippians 121 the same way I do. If anything, I'm losing sight of everybody else as I am gazing on him and growing closer to him. And as you grow closer to Christ, you do not become more critical of others. As you, bore, as you grow closer to Christ, you are more humbled that he loves you. The closer you get to him, the more you see yourself as undone. The more respect you have for others. And the more willing you are to work with others. And the more love you have for others because you see what Christ has given you. So what does it mean? Well, that's what it doesn't mean. But what does it mean? I would say this. In, uh, what is your life centered around? What consumes you? For Paul, it was all about Jesus. So I, I want his calling, his direction, his purpose. I want to be about his glory and his reputation, not my own. It's about knowing him better. Every day, I'm looking forward to reading my Bible, to praying, to learning about my Savior. It's about knowing Him better and trusting Him more fully. It's about loving Christ and serving people, spreading His message. This is not, don't, don't, don't check these, check, 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 check. That's what we want to do with these things. This is the list. Pastor's going to tell us how to do it. No, I'm just giving you some of the facets of this. If I am centered around Christ, living the not I but Christ life, it's about building his kingdom, not my own. It's about knowing his peace, his joy, his hope, how to be abased and how to abound. This is what Paul would say. Paul would say, but for me to live as Christ's life is not a life that merely adds Christ in, but builds life upon him. It is living a life of sweet surrender, yielding every day, yielding moment by moment. Temptations come, and we say, Lord, in this moment, I want to yield to you. I want to please my Savior. It is that life of sweet surrender. It is that life that builds on him as the cornerstone and foundation. Single-mindedness replacing double-mindedness. This is the Christ life. I believe it's the this one thing I do mentality. I don't have to please everybody. I don't have to do everything. I don't have to check everything, everybody else's bucket list. I've got one thing to check on my bucket list. Am I pleasing my Savior, Jesus Christ, who is the only one I care about 
And who's going to say one day, well done, thou good and faithful servant? It's about abolishing pride and the embracing of humility. The Christ life seeks no glory for oneself, but deflects all glory to the Lord Jesus. As I mentioned before, it's not a transcendent, elusive piety, but rather it is a transparent and vibrant reality. Someone who really is living Philippians 1.21 is not someone that everybody looks at and says, oh, look at that guy, look at that lady. Oh, I could never, ever be as spiritual as that person. No, I don't believe so. I believe someone who is truly living the Christ life is someone who brings Christ to you and helps you to see this is possible. Look what God's doing in their life. Look at the reality. Look at the transparency. Back in 2016, I, I, I borrowed this quote that whole year because we had the theme of authentic Christianity that year. And this quote was not original with me, but the quote is, be real because fake is exhausting. And it's true. God wants us to be real, surrendered, broken, uh, sinners saved by grace Christians who center our lives around him. The Christ life is about you becoming more and more like Jesus, but still staying you. Does that make sense? You're more and more like him every day, and yet you're still you. Your voice, your idiosyncrasies, your personality. Don't try to become somebody else. What did the Bible say? Christ in you, the hope of glory. You don't need to be somebody else. It's funny how sometimes in our church cultures, we all think we have to do it the exact way. I'll even see moms do this, where they, they so want to not be the mom who's carnal. You know, Johnny is throwing a fit, running down the hall, crayon along the wall. Johnny, Johnny, please stop. You're running after Johnny. Johnny, you know, there's no judgment here. Jesus cleansed the temple. That kid probably needs a good cleansing. Chase him down, tackle him, raise your voice. It's all good, okay? Uh, there's so much pressure. Oh, if I respond this way, someone's going to think I don't have Christ. I'm not living the Christ life, carnal, blah, blah, blah. Uh, not from here anyway. Folks, it's about us letting him live through us. Don't overthink it, but yield to him. I want to I finish with this. Paul closes the chapter with some practicals that help us live a Christ-centered life. And I'm not going to have a lot of time for this, but we'll, we'll do what we can. Verse 27, only let your conversation be as it becometh the gospel of Christ, that whether I come and see you or else be absent, I may hear of your affairs that ye stand fast in one spirit with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel. Some things about the Christ life here, we're going to uh, hit this in close. The Christ life is a life that is becoming to gospel ministry. The Christ life is a life that is becoming to gospel ministry. What does that mean? We're using the word becoming in the sense of uh, complementary. It, it complements, it's worthy of, it's suitable for, okay? So uh, there are certain actions that are unbecoming of a soldier. Just ask Pastor CJ. He can tell you about that. There are, there's a certain demeanor that we might say to our young men and our young ladies. That's, a, that's, not a, that's an unbecoming demeanor. That's unbecoming. Parents, you probably are doing that all the time with your kids. All right, there's a certain lifestyle that is unbecoming to a Christian, and there is that which is becoming, and we need to have that Christ-centered life that is becoming. It, it, it complements the gospel itself. What is the gospel? It's the good news that I have been saved, and you can be saved, saved from sin, death, hell, because of the shed blood of Jesus Christ, his death, burial, and resurrection. It is good news. And as we live that message and preach that message, he says, the Christ life, the for me to live is Christ life, 
complements that message. Folks, how much damage is done by Christians who live lives that are unbecoming to the gospel that has changed our lives. Your conversation in this, in this, in this uh, verse 27 is that word we've, we've defined many times. It's the lifestyle or manner of life or conduct of a believer. Conversation in the Bible is more than just your words. It's your lifestyle, manner of life, or conduct. What about the gospel is attractive? I'd say all sorts of things. Hope is attractive. Mercy is attractive, right? Forgiveness, love, the power of God to save and enable, comfort, knowing where you're going when you die, victory over sin, death, and hell. These are things that are attractive to the gospel. All right, well, we need to, as Christians, pattern our lives the same way. Does my, does my life have hope and peace, the hope and peace of the gospel? And is my life pointing people to hope, joy, and peace? Is my life a life of mercy? Or is my life a life full of judgment, justice, and wrath? Folks, only let your life be that as becomes the gospel means your life needs to be a complementary of it needs to complement the message that you that you embody right and salvation is about his mercy yes there is judgment yes there's justice yes there's wrath but when you have salvation you've received his mercy so folks we ought to have merciful christians people ought to be able to come in to this assembly and be loved on and, be, uh, and see mercy, not just judgment and wrath. And I'm not saying we don't preach on sin. But I'm saying there's mercy to the sinner. Amen. And there's love to the sinner. Are you loving even to those who least deserve it? It's amazing to me how many times we will take God's mercy and love for ourselves and then refuse it to those around us. If you've been forgiven... A life that becomes the gospel is a life that forgives. A life that complements the gospel is a life that does not hold on to hurt and bitterness, but says, I'm going to forgive you the way my Savior forgave me. Bitterness and a refusal to forgive are some of the most detrimental and unbecoming traits a believer can have concerning the gospel. Have you ever experienced his power or his enabling? A life with no power does not resemble or become the gospel, which has the power to break the chains of sin. Do you know his comfort because of the gospel? Are you able to comfort another? Do you know victory? This is what it means when it says, let your life, only let your life be as it becomes the gospel of God. And by the way, it says only let. That means you and I can do this and are expected to. It's a command. The Christ life is a life that is becoming to gospel ministry. Secondly, the Christ life is, is a life that is, has a testimony of steadfastness and unity. Only let your, your conversation be as it become with the gospel of Christ, that whether I come and see you or else be absent, I may hear of your affairs. He hears of their testimony. And what about it does he hear? That ye stand fast in one spirit, with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel. A Christ-centered life is a life that has a testimony of steadfastness and unity. It's not because we want the Apostle Pauls of our life to hear about us and give us the attaboy. No. It's that we want to have a testimony that people, when they see and hear of, of us, would recognize God's at work there to God be the glory. And God gets the glory. Regardless of Paul's presence or his absence means it's real. If it's only when he's present, well, that's not real. If you lose it when he's absent, that's not real. Christ's life is not about where you get your way. The Christ life is not about you. It's about him and unity is achieved as we all individually give up our self-focus and replace it with a single focus upon Christ. 
staying fast with one spirit and one mind, strive together for the faith of the gospel. Not only should our lives be becoming of or complementary to the gospel, our lives should be striving together for the furtherance of the gospel. And so we need to ask ourselves this question. If I have the Christ life, if I'm living the Christ life, then how is my life contributing to the furtherance of the gospel? If self's at the center, I can guarantee you we're not contributing much. If Christ is at the center, you're, uh, you're, you're able to then contribute to the advance. The Christ life is a life that is becoming to gospel ministry. The Christ life is a life that has a testimony of steadfastness and unity. The Christ-centered life is a life not terrified by enemies, verse 28, and in nothing terrified by your adversaries, which is to them an evident token of perdition, but to you of salvation and that of God. What is he saying here? Your lack of terror is an evident token of the fact that they are judged and you're saved, and God, through his power, has delivered you. It is a powerful thing when God rids believers of fear. And if you have struggled with fear, I'm not condemning you this morning. I'm inviting you to take a step toward Jesus, to take more time in his word. This morning, uh, the seniors met at nine o'clock to go through the Bible study, quieting a noisy soul. Hey, that's a step. And maybe you learned something today. Come back next week. Learn some more. Keep drawing nigh. Keep drawing in to the Lord. And your peace is an evident token of the victory side that you're on and the defeat of the enemy. Your knowledge of God will ease your fears of the enemy. And finally, verse 29, the Christ-centered life is a life that embraces suffering. For unto you it is given in the behalf of Christ not only to believe on him, but also to suffer for his sake, having the same conflict which he saw in me and now here to be in me. What is all of this? This is his, his um, uh, unraveling, you might say, of, of verse 21. For to me, to live is Christ, to die is gain. The Christ-centered life is one that doesn't just believe on him, but embraces suffering for his sake. I want you to notice this key phrase. It says, is given unto you it is given not only to believe on him but also to suffer for his sake in other words even our suffering should be seen as a gift from god and the christ life the for me to live as christ life can accept that but when self is in the center and when a self-centered individual gets around with other self-centered individuals, they will confirm, oh yeah, you can't take this and you can't take that and you shouldn't have to put up with this and blah, 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 blah. And nobody should have to go through that hardship. No one should have to suffer like you're suffering. No one except we're all glad Jesus did. None of us would want to trade that out. But people just keep on chewing in our ear and just telling us it's about you and you and you deserve this and you deserve better. And God's being mean to you to keep you in this spot where you find yourself and what you're dealing with. It's just, this is not right. And Paul says, for to me to live is Christ, to die is gain. And it is a gift given on behalf of Christ to be able to believe in him. And it's a gift given on behalf of Christ to suffer for him. When Christ is at the center, even our suffering can be seen as a gift from God, a privilege with a purpose. Philippians 3.10, and we'll close. Paul said this, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection. And that's where we stop reading. And that's where we stop praying and that's where we close our Bibles and say, yes, I want to know him. I want to know his power. Let's go get him, guys. But someone says, wait, 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 wait. We need to read the rest of the verse. And the fellowship of his sufferings being made conformable 
unto his death. In order to know him, and in order to know his power, that resurrection power, you must fellowship with him in his sufferings. That is the only way he can trust you with the power and the knowledge. If you had the knowledge that you want and the power that you want, and me as well, we would be loose cannons. It is the suffering that breaks us. It's the suffering that that teaches us, and it's the suffering that humbles us, teaches us how this is to work out, this power, and and, and makes us so that we, we truly are usable vessels. That I may know him and the power of his resurrection, the fellowship of his sufferings, being made conformable unto his death. This is the Christ life. Well, do you want the Philippians 121 life? For to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. You need to ask yourself this question. Am I convinced that only a Christ-centered life can satisfy? And for many of us, if we're honest, we are not convinced that Christ can satisfy fully. Will you surrender your life to that which becomes the gospel of God? Put him to the test. You seek him first and see if all these things will be added unto you. You see if he'll leave you dry and destitute if you center your life around him. Thank you, Lord, for your word. Thank you for the promises and the provisions that you've given us. I pray that you would help us to understand that this is not just something for Paul and a few others. This Christ life, this Christ-centered life is that which you expect of all believers and it's in our own interest that we would put you first. First above money, first above pleasure, first above relationships, fame, status, accomplishments. Lord, may you truly be first in our life. Would you be at the center of everything we do? Help us now. As the piano plays, would you stand to your feet? And just take a moment before the Lord. Would you take a moment to ask Him, even for the desire for a Philippians 121 life? Just be honest if you're not there. Say, Lord, I'm not there. But I want to be there. Would you help me to want what you want? Help me to want to surrender my life to you and to trust you.